Well, tonight I'm bringing you a new series on the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about Holy Spirit relationships. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And there in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to read about what it means to be filled with the Spirit and how the Holy Spirit affects our relationships. Ephesians 5, verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, carefully, see? Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now there's a parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3, we'll dip into that occasionally, because Paul wrote Ephesians and Colossians kind of at the same time, And this theme about being spirit-filled and seeing how a spirit-filled life is to be worked out in fellowship, in church relationship, in families, husbands and wives, and parents and children, and even in the workplace. And he describes how Christians should behave in the workplace by describing slaves who are slaving for their bosses. So even if that's not an official form of slavery in your office, your workplace, you can at least feel some empathy with those who had to receive that original instruction. And incidentally, we're going to see how the Christian attitudes of brotherhood and fellowship in the workplace, in the end, brought slavery to an end and brought real social change. So when you are walking in the Spirit and developing a relationship with God and one another and all significant others in your life, including those who don't yet believe in Christ, you are going to change the world. And it needs changing. When we look out tonight on this broken world of ours, we find broken relationships everywhere. There isn't anybody tonight, if I gave you a microphone, you wouldn't be able to say, yeah, 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 I've had a broken relationship. Many of you will talk about broken family backgrounds. I know I can do that. I can talk about my broken family background, and that's eventually how I got here to Britain, and there's another story, a long testimony. Sometimes people are talking about how there's a rift between their parents and themselves, and ongoing friendships of people who know each other deeply over a matter of years is a very rare thing. The chances are people that we went to school with and were very close with at school, we don't see them anymore. Well, we've got Facebook and all kinds of ways of connecting and reconnecting, but there's something more important than that. We need the Holy Spirit. What do we need more than anything else in this broken world? We need spirit-filled relationships. Here Paul is saying, don't be drunk with wine. It's a negative comparison. He's talking about addiction at this particular point. And uh, the Bible does not condemn alcohol in moderation. And if you say, well, what is that? Go to the National Health website. They'll soon tell you. Scientists are telling us, increasingly warning us about the dangers of persistent 
intake of alcohol. So that'll help you with that. But here, it's not just about people having a glass of wine with some food or something like that. Here it's talking about people whose lives, whole lives, are given over to addiction to this alcohol. Also, we can think about other forms of drug addiction. I started my ministry working in a house that took care of people who were addicted to drugs and alcohol. And I, I can bear first-hand testimony to the devastation it brings in people's lives. The very first funeral I attended, I wasn't much older than 22 years of age myself, 22, 23. And I went to the first funeral of my life. It was a, a young man by the name of Stephen. I remember him so clearly, 23 years of age. He'd come into our home as a heroin addict. He had the medical help that was necessary, and so he was no longer physically addicted, but the psychological addiction took much longer. And he was successful at every stage in our rehabilitation process. And the time came when he was given an opportunity to spend a bit of time, some downtime, without robust supervision. He had supervision, but it was not controlling supervision. People have to mature. Anyway, it's a long story, but things went badly wrong, and Stephen turned back to drugs that weekend. And what he had not understood was that a heroin addict has a certain tolerance for certain dosages of heroin, and he had forgotten that, and he took the dose that he was used to when he was a really, really hooked on heroin. And that dose was so strong that it killed him. It killed him. That's the first funeral I attended, and, and I, I just remember his parents and his family totally broken. And I knew something of Stephen's life, knew something of the broken family background he came from, and what a significant thing that, that in any way he should be on the road to recovery. He'd committed his life to Christ, and, and he was in the process of beginning to restore relationships, but this happened, and it was too late. And the ultimate separation, the ultimate broken relationship, death itself, oh, so tragic. And listen to the stories of those people who were addicted to alcohol, chronic alcoholics in their early 20s, which meant they were addicted from the age of 12 and 13. Often, those problems that led to their alcohol addiction were rooted in broken relationships. And then the alcohol became life-dominating, and it destroyed all the remaining relationships, so there was nothing left. But you don't have to be an alcoholic or a drug addict or have some other kind of addictive thing happening in your life before you need the Holy Spirit to restore relationships. The Bible shows us that the bottom line with us as natural human beings, both you and me, without the Spirit, okay? Without the Spirit. We are so self-centered, so selfish, that we are prepared to sacrifice anything that you offer for our own peace of heart and mind and the good it will do to us. It's the very opposite of love. It means that naturally, Colin Dye thinks of Colin Dye number one. This is without the Holy Spirit. Don't even try to imagine it. Is so self-centered that he will, he will take whatever he can get for himself at whatever cost to you. That's the ugly truth of fallen human nature. Don't look at me like that. You're just the same without the Holy Spirit. 
All right? So this is the opposite of love, self-centeredness. It's our natural inclination of heart. But when the Holy Spirit takes hold of our lives and works the love of Jesus, we begin to relate the way Jesus related. And how did Jesus relate? He took care of our needs at whatever cost to himself. That's love. Write it down and live by it. That's what love is. Taking care of other people's needs, putting them first at whatever cost to yourself. And we know what that meant for Jesus. Our greatest need was that our broken relationship with God would be mended and restored, that we could get back to God's original plan, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and then hook up with the second part, which is love your neighbor as yourself. Without the Holy Spirit, it's impossible. But without the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, it is also impossible. Jesus said, Father, I'm going to bring reconciliation. What is it going to cost me? And the Father said, it's going to cost you your very life, son. Son, you need to give your life as a sacrifice on the cross. That's what love is. What's the greatest need of the world today? We look out in the world of broken relationships, family breakdown, divorce, selfishness, greed, a whole world of lonely, hurting people. What do we need more than anything else? Spirit-filled relationships. That's what we need. And uh, from Ephesians chapter 5, 15 onwards, right the way through to chapter 6, verse 9, God gives us a glimpse of what that looks like. And I'm inviting you over the next series of these services when I'm speaking to you on this topic, I'm inviting you to come with me on a journey, an adventure, to discover what spirit-filled relationships are like. First of all, in the house of God, the church, Secondly, between husband and wife, how many husbands and wives do we have here? I mean, how many married people do we have here? Let's see. Married people. How many are single and hopeful? Let's see. Okay. There's a very cynical joke about marriage. Please don't laugh. It's so cynical. I tell you, it's so dreadful. I'm telling you in order to say don't try it at home, folks. Okay. They say marriage is like a castle under siege. Those on the inside are trying to get out, those on the outside are trying to get in. But that's cynical, and that is certainly not what I believe. Now, whether you are a married person seeking to glorify God in your relationship, or you are struggling in your marital relationship, or you are in a relationship with somebody that you're hoping will lead to marriage, or you have no relationship with anybody, you're saying, God, give me somebody, please, quickly. Wherever you are in this process, you need to learn to love and to love relationally. I think holiness is 100% about relationship. I really do. Because I just quoted... What the Bible says about the primary concern of God is that we, could, we should be hooked up with him again and restored in our relationship with him, but it doesn't just stop there. That's the vertical link with God, but we also are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so holiness is all about relationship. And we, when we look at Ephesians 5, the verses I read to you, it actually describes spirit-filled relationships in the body of Christ. That's where we begin we go on from here to the other ones, but tonight we're focusing on that. Spirit-filled relationship within the body of Christ. Now then, I want you to have a look with me in Colossians chapter 3. 
Because Colossians chapter 3 is a kind of parallel passage, and you'll recognize it straight away when we get to it. Let's, go, let's read from verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. Now, take this out and underline it. It's just a something that we need to bear in mind in church life. Are you ready? If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. I'll just read that in again, just in case you missed it. <laughs> if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. All these words are descriptive of relationships. You can't have meekness and humility outside of a relationship. You cannot love if there is no relationship. If you are the only person on the planet, you can't even love yourself because you probably wouldn't even understand who you were. All right? But now, this is where it begins to connect with Ephesians. Verse 14. But above all these things, put on love which is the bond of perfection, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, through which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonition, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Can you see the parallel? Ephesians says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Colossians says, be filled with the Word of Christ. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And what will happen is that wisdom, you will be uh, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So it's talking about relationship within the body of Christ. And what is the picture that we find here? It's something that the world is watching and waiting to see. A little earlier, we were celebrating that even the secular press are recording the fact that church attendance is on the increase. Six out of ten people in Britain attended church last year. That's amazing. 60%. It could be that people are rediscovering the vitality of the body of Christ. The body of Christ in Britain is not dead. It's alive and growing. Now then, I will, it's too late. If you're going to clap, you've got to clap quicker than that. It's too late. I'm moving on. Okay. Now then, why that is so special to me is that, is that something is happening. It's not just the, the needs that people see in their own lives. It's the answers they see in our life. See, because everybody has a recognition of need, need money, go to the bank manager. You don't come to Kensington Temple and tithe unless you have faith, okay? All right? So, or if you've got a relational break breakdown, you, you go to a counselor. But they don't understand that Jesus is the healer of all these things. And it's not that he promises us an easy life without tests and trials, but he ultimately is the ultimate solution. And at the end of the day, you'll be glad you went with Jesus. So how is it then that people who have needs in their life and are conscious of that, how is it then that they start knocking on the door of the church and saying, help us? That's because they see the way we relate above all things. 
Okay? The early church was criticized very heavily by the pagan counterparts, but even the worst opponents of the early church was able to say, they may be crazy, stupid people, but look how they love one another. The world is looking for real love. The kind of love that they see demonstrated on the cross. And if we say we're followers of Jesus, and we don't show them something that looks a little like Jesus, they're going to find help or try and find help somewhere else. So what is happening here? When the Spirit comes and God's presence is manifested and we see Jesus, what happens? We are filled. It's the language of fullness. Don't be drunk with wine, don't be filled with that, but be filled with the Spirit. It's the language of fullness. I want to say to you, the Spirit-filled life on this planet, before Jesus returns, it don't get better than that. This is as good as it gets. The whole of your life, full of the Holy Spirit, at least internally, we know that Jesus is living there. It's the taste of heaven in our own lives. Of course, when Christ returns, he's not just going to bring us a taste. He's going to give us the whole banquet. But before Jesus returns, this is as good as it gets. Spirit-filled life beginning to be expressed in spirit-filled relationships within the body of Christ so the world can see Christ in us. We are called to put him on display by the way we relate. And the amazing thing about this is that we, if, if, if we can relate like this, it points to something deeper. It's not just that they look at us and say, I'm relating to you, George Apata. <laughs> I'm, relating, I'm relating to you. You're relating to me. They can say, well, you could be good friends. But when I, we relate to people that we're not naturally drawn to, they say there's, there's something different about that. And here, 119 nationalities, that speaks of heaven. This is not Coca-Cola advertisement. We didn't get people from all over the world and pay them to be here and look all spickled and speckled and different shades of color and say, here we are, Coca-Cola. No, this is the Spirit of God who has brought us together in this place. Look around and rejoice as a taste of heaven. Yeah. Go on. Look. <laughs> because when we start to relate out of love, it's because we found our satisfaction somewhere else. I don't need to exploit you to feel good. I don't need to get you to pay the price to make me feel good if I know what it is to be full of the Holy Spirit. I'm satisfied with Jesus. And all these people satisfied with Jesus, that's why they start to sing and worship and have this wonderful experience of God. Three things are clear from these passages. When we're full of the Spirit, we have a sense of belonging, a sense of bearing with one another in humility, and building one another up. Belonging, bearing, and building. The three Bs, the three building blocks of Christian life and fellowship. And that was what it really means to be spiritual. I don't know what your definition of spiritual is. There's a lot of definitions. There's a religious definition of spiritual. Usually it means rules, regulations, tightly controlled beliefs, rituals. The way you pray, the way you sit, what you do, you're told to do everything. And then there's the alternative spirituality. Say, we don't need religion, we have our own spirituality. Ooh. And these are the people that focus on universal principles, impersonal forces and powers. Let me give you a definition from a book. I'll just give you the first names. I'll protect the surnames to protect the guilty. 
nurses Ruth and Judith, nothing to do with us, but we find their book. This is how they defined religion. They think they're so amazing. This is the world's definition of religion. The spiritual dimension tries to be in harmony with, harmony with the universe. Why don't you start talking about the God of the universe? The universe is, is, is matter, but God is spirit. We're not just matter people, we're spirit people. We need spirit. God made us for himself. To have harmony with the universe, striving for answers about the infinite. Oh, no, 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 no. You need Jesus, dear. You need Jesus in your life. God is not some kind of impersonal force or power that is access to alternative practices, meditation, yoga, new age, paraphernalia, and crystals. Our God is alive and is living in us by his Holy Spirit. We come to God by faith in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. But by the time we've defined religious spirituality and alternative spirituality, we've not yet finished looking at what the world calls spiritual. Do you know that even today there is now a secular spirituality, an atheistic spirituality, a spirituality without God? Finding meaning in human-based values without reference to God. Well, you know, you need to come back to the Bible. I want you to understand this. When the Bible talks about being spiritual, it's not talking about behaving in a certain way. It's not even really talking about human behavior at all. When the Bible talks about being spiritual, it means acting with the Holy Spirit. In other words, God is in your life. It's the Holy Spirit that makes you spiritual. Spiritual gifts are gifts activated by the Holy Spirit. A spiritual man is a man who has the Holy Spirit and is being motivated by the Holy Spirit. A spiritual woman is a woman who has the Holy Spirit and is motivated by the Holy Spirit. It's all to do with the Holy Spirit. Which means you don't try to be spiritual, just get more of God. Amen and amen. We need the Holy Spirit from the very beginning to the end. Remember, the National Health Service was supposed to take us, take care of us from the cradle to the grave. Well, the Holy Spirit takes care of us from spiritual conception till the day we meet Jesus in heaven. Hallelujah. We need him in order to be changed. There's a simple word for this, regeneration. Regeneration, receiving new life. When we receive new life, the Holy Spirit takes out the old nature, that old self-centered nature, and puts a new nature within you. And this nature is crazy for God. This nature in you, this new nature, longs for God. You crave for God. You have a passion for God. And you are so passionate for God that somebody could call you religiously or spiritually obsessed and say, yes, I am. I'm obsessed about Jesus. We need more Jesus-obsessed people. Amen? Now then, it's not just about receiving the new nature, it's also about walking according to the new nature. Mm -hmm. That's something a little bit different. When you're born again, you've received the new nature. But when you live out that experience, your life changes. The Bible calls this sanctification or holiness. Amen? Living according to the new nature. You can only do this through the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Question. Is it possible for a born-again believer, having believed, to still rely on their own fleshly strength and not the Holy Spirit? Is it possible? 
You don't think so? You think it's possible for a singer who loves Jesus but still to stand up and sing in the energy of their flesh to attract attention to themselves? Is that possible? Is it possible for a preacher to stand up and preach in such a way, say, look at me, look at me? He says, it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. You see, motive is important, isn't it? Okay. Is it possible to be doing the right thing with the wrong energy? Yes, it is. And this is a trap of the devil. So many times we think we're doing the right thing. We're reading our Bible, we're praying, we're talking to people, doing all the right stuff, all the right stuff that somebody can say, look how obedient that person is to God. Yet, our hearts are far from him. So, even in our worship, even in our praying, even in our Bible reading, our singing, our worshiping, and our preaching, we have to depend on the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, we are nothing. We can do nothing. Even as believers, we have to depend on the Holy Spirit. He is the supernatural influence in our regeneration, in our holy living, in our missional service, being empowered by the Spirit. And He is also going to be the key agent in our glorification. What's that? Well, the reference in the scripture goes like this. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he shall quicken your mortal body. I'm going back to the AV. This means he will bring to life your body. In other words, he's going to change your very body that you will be transformed and glorified the way Jesus is. So we need the Holy Spirit from start to finish in our Christian life. Oh, let's ask for more of him tonight. Hallelujah. And so, this experience of relating to one another and learning how to reflect the love of God in our relationships to one another with this, what it sounds so simple, but I tell you, without the Holy Spirit, it's impossible. That when we say, I'm here to love you, to love my brothers, to love the brethren. I'm here to love you at any cost to myself. The Bible says just laying your life down for the brethren. When that happens, not 60%, but a whole lot more people will be attending church, not just once or twice a year, because they will see something they've longed for and never knew existed. And how wonderful this language of fullness, be filled with the Spirit. But you know, yes, the language of satisfaction and supernatural joy, overflow of joy, is here. <laughs> and as I said earlier, being filled with the Spirit, it doesn't get better than that. But it's not just about how we feel. Did you notice in the passages? There were emotional side effects. But the focus is on God himself. The Holy Spirit isn't here just to make you and me feel good. The satisfaction is a satisfaction that points to a future life that isn't worth comparing with all the suffering we go through. Did you notice that in Ephesians chapter 5? It says... Spirit-filled people will say, thank you, God, for 
all things. This goes further than any other point in the Bible. Often you will read, be thankful in everything. In, in your circumstances you give thanks. God, I'm going through a terrible time, but in this time of pressure, I thank you for who you are. No, no, it goes deeper than that. It is saying, God, I give you thanks for whatever is coming to my life, whatever it is, good or bad or unpleasant or whatever, because I've tasted something that far outweighs it, outweighs it all. And at times like that, when I know I have nothing but Jesus, nothing but Jesus, no substitute, then that's when I'm closest to you. I put all my dependence on you. A rich man might find it difficult to put his trust in Jesus for provision until the next recession comes. I met a man once who was so rich that his reason for being in London was they offered him that he might buy the Ritz Hotel. And I had an introduction to him. And they said, oh, you can come and meet him in his private suite at the Ritz Hotel. And I went to the Ritz Hotel with a prophetic friend of mine to minister to this man. And what I did not know was that the man who publicly was so wealthy that the Ritz Hotel had called him up and said, but have come, come and spend a day with us. We, we, we want you to, why don't you buy our hotel? was on the point, at the point of losing everything. And what he needed was not two pastors saying, would you write a check to us for 100,000 pounds, or if, if I, I would have asked for a million at least. What he needed was two relatively insignificant characters on this planet to lay hands on him and bless him because he was about to lose everything. Oh, he was then very dependent on the Holy Spirit. But when he received the telephone call to come and buy the Ritz Hotel, he was feeling very independent. Yeah, I don't want to buy it. I don't want to buy it. It's overpriced. I don't want to buy it, but I'm just going to come and talk about it. You know why? Because if I wanted to, I could. But all is over. Since then... He's humbled himself and he's on the way up again. I must look him up. <laughs> so sometimes it's, it's in our sense of acute need that we become conscious of our dependency on God. But I don't think God has to take things away from us in order to say, now you've got to trust me. No, no, no. I think he wants to invite us into the inner circle of his fellowship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and just to lather interdependence upon him, to all dependence upon him, this interrelational dependence. God, we love you. We depend upon you. We want you. And, and, and then when we taste him like that, nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else is going to substitute for that. And no amount of fleshly financial blessing, no amount of fleshly ability, no amount of personal talent, no amount of personal charisma, no amount of influence in our positions or jobs or financial uh, ability, that is not even going to impress us. 
And we know it's not going to impress God. We say, I have all this for God. It's you. It's only you. It's only you. It's only you. And mean it. Amen? When we're that satisfied with Jesus, and we discover that satisfaction, not just on our own, but together, when we're that satisfied with Jesus, we learn to walk together in wisdom and understanding, not being unwise or foolish. We know what God's will is, and that will is expressed in the community. And we draw closer to him and closer to one another, experiencing the motivating, enabling power of the Spirit of God who lives in us, shaping our lives. Our lives are not shaped by the universe. So a quote here, some blogger says, oh, the universe shapes your life. The universe doesn't shape your life. God is the shaper of your life. Amen. Get it right. Stop worshiping the universe. Worship the God who made the universe. Any logic will tell you that's better. So we're drawn closer to the God who shapes us. The Father draws us into personal, all-loving, all-powerful relationship. The all-loving, all-powerful God, our Father, draws us closer to Him and fashions our lives through Christ, who is the Son of the living God, died for us, resurrected, coming to, back to pick us up and take us to heaven. Amen and amen. amen. By the power of the Holy Spirit, so we can reflect Him to the world, let the church put God on display by the way we relate. Amen and amen. Together with the Spirit. That was my title tonight. And this means together we are being shaped by the Holy Spirit with a particular purpose in mind. And that is to put God on display. How? By the way we relate. Here's the take-home message. We are being shaped together by the Holy Spirit, together, in community, by the Holy Spirit, that we might put God on display by the way we relate. See how they love one another. Amen. Amen.